Okay, good evening. It's good to see that the house is a little bit fuller than usual for a Sunday evening. We're going to continue our study of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, and tonight we'll be looking at questions 58 through 61, uh, all of which encompass the third commandment of the Decalogue, and question 58, which we read this morning, which is the third commandment. The answer being the third commandment is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. This is coming from Exodus 20, the giving of the Decalogue uh, by God to Moses. When I first started to study this question, I thought, well, I have this one. I stopped swearing probably about 25, 30 years ago when I became a Christian. And I didn't think I was going to, as I unraveled the study, to find that I am not qualified (laughs) to teach on this question when I find out what taking the Lord's name in vain really entails. Because it isn't just a matter of not swearing anymore or swearing in the name of God or Jesus Christ. But I will fight my way through and hopefully you will be able to find out that there is work to be done. Um, As we've been studying and we'll continue to study the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, uh, let's just remember that the first four commandments are vertical in nature and the last six commandments are horizontal in nature when we say vertical we're referring to looking up or looking to God and our relationship to him Uh, we've already discussed the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me and the second commandment uh, last week uh, by our brother John prohibiting the making or worshiping of idols Tonight, of course, we'll be looking into the third commandment and what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain. And next week, we'll be reviewing the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath. So these first four commandments call for us to examine our relationship to God. God's the one who created us. God is the one who sustains us during our sojourn here on this earth. And he is the one will bring us to glory. When we say horizontal, as applied to the 5th through 10th commandments, we're referring to looking around or looking at our fellow man and how we are to live our lives rightly among them as part of creation. We're called to honor our father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet. All of All of this is to be covered in the upcoming weeks and these last six commandments call for us to examine our relationship with our fellow man. When I say that, I learned a great deal about really what it entails to not take the Lord's name in vain. It revealed to me that it stems so much from how we view God, what is our understanding of God. And so with that said, um, let's just take a, a moment to pray that I might say the words that would reveal God's word to all of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, to have your general revelation that we can see the beauty of your creation, the intricacy. When we look at the complexities of uh, microscopic organisms, when we look at the complexity and the vastness of the universe, when we look at our solar system and how we are 
fortunate to have uh, such a design that allows us to have life uh, here on this earth. We thank you for your special revelation and your saving grace that has opened our eyes and allows us to understand spiritual things. And I pray, Lord, that we would give honor and glory to you, to your name, because you are truly worthy of our praise. Lord, give us the deepest of understandings of who you are, that we would live our lives righteously. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, uh, there's a quote. A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. A.W. Tozer was a, a pastor uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, he, um, I would say that he ran in the, the circles of people that, that followed uh, Charles Spurgeon. He has a lot of sayings. I kind of look at his quotes as being a um, like a cerebral Yogi Berra or something. He would say something to the effect of, uh, if you are following God, then you are going to be in trouble with your fellow man or something you know, to that effect. But this quote, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me, made me think of a corollary, apply it to me, apply it to yourselves, which would be what you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you think highly of God, you will live a more holy life. If you think little of God, you will not live such a life. So it's important for us, if we truly want to understand God's special revelation, and when he says something as simple as, you shall not take my name in vain, it's much deeper than the words. It comes down to, what do we think about God? So as we look at the third commandment tonight, that deep understanding, if it's not there already, needs to be developed. And wherever we are at, if we have a deep understanding, it needs to be fortified. So we're going to be talking about God's character, God's attributes for a bit. And it's difficult to do because it's not something that is totally knowable. It's a complex thought. And it made me think about back in the day when I was in college and I was getting educated beyond my intelligence, took a lot of math classes and went through the calculus one, went through calculus two, went through calculus three, went through differential equations one, differential equations two, uh, I'm prepared now to design systems to land a rocket on the moon. I didn't want to do that, and I didn't go in that direction, but that's where I was. And then I decided to take another class, the next step up, getting into imaginary numbers. Does anybody know what an imaginary number is? There we go. The one person that is teaching the school. <laughs> so. It is, sorry, Steve is also a teacher at school, but he does not know imaginary numbers. I don't blame him. So I'm taking this course in imaginary numbers, and just to get an idea, you know what square roots are? I think even the front row here, they've got the square roots down. Well, the square, when, when you square, an imaginary number, you come up with a negative number. Does that make sense? Two squared, four. Four squared, 16, right? Those are all positive numbers, the result. But if you square the imaginary number two, two i, you come up with negative four. So are you following me? You know how you would use that in life? 
No. I, you know, I, I never Squares did. Squares are the ones with the equal sides, right? Uh, this is... Squares <laughs> <laughs> are nerds. Those are Robinsons. So, the, the point is that you can know a certain amount and let's say you left off at algebra and you're very good at that but you didn't want to go into trigonometry. You know trig and you don't want to go to calculus. Calculus, you don't want to go to differential equations. Whatever, we could develop our own certain level of understanding but there comes a point for just about everybody that you just don't get it anymore. You, don't, you can't picture it. Uh, and I don't mean to belabor this point but I as an example, taking differential equations, and I, I explained this once before, it might have been at one of these catechism classes, but when we were solving the, um, a motion equation, and I got all the math, but what did the answer really mean? I got the answer. Well, and, and in differential equations, you get multiple, you get primary answers, secondary, third, and it turned out that the primary answer described the most stable motion of spinning a shoebox. And so you can grab a shoebox and you could find a way to spin it and it would be very stable. You could, a secondary solution, you spin it on the horizontal axis and you can spin it, it's a little bit harder. And then the third solution would be diagonal from one low corner to the upper corner and that one's really hard to control. And that's when I realized, okay, this is starting to get beyond my ability. So, how does that apply to tonight? To get a better understanding of God, we really need to go to work on what God's special revelation has taught us and how we are to handle the word that God has given to us through his Holy Spirit. The better our understanding of God, the more perfect, the more his perfect ways will matter to us. And we'll give him the honor and glory that is due him, for he is the one that is truly worthy of our praise. Once we consider who God is and have a, a better understanding, we'll then take a look at what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. So this first part will be looking a little bit deeper into God, his character, his name. The second part will be what does it exactly mean to take the Lord's name in vain. And finally, we'll look at the consequences of failing to follow this commandment and how we might strive to be more obedient. So, starting with question 59, what is required in the third commandment? The answer is the third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, words, and works. That alone can be a seminar. However, we're looking at words like reverence. We can get that. We can read it. We can understand what it means. We can do it. We can treat God reverently. We can also not treat him reverently. Um, not to steal the thunder of uh, later on uh, in this talk, but just to get an idea. Uh, any golfers out there? Two or more. So, you get to the green. Yeah, Christine, good for you. You get to the green, now it's time to putt. You're 20 feet out. That's typically a putt that most people miss. Pros miss them all the time, they do make them. But they also, they miss them you know, probably 75% of the time. We amateurs miss it 99% of the time. So you make the putt, it goes right in the hole. And your partner says, God must be smiling on you today. Sounds like a, a fairly innocuous comment, but it has a tendency to diminish just who God is. Why is God going to necessarily stoop down to have you make a putt? I'm not saying that he wouldn't do that, but the intent, the delivery 
of such a comment, as innocuous as it might sound, is, is actually can be offensive to God because you're kind of putting him in a box. And that's when I began to think, all right, this isn't just about cursing. It is looking at God reverently. Uh, or conversely, you have a 14-inch putt. And you make those all the time, and you go to putt it, and you miss it. And, uh, and, and that same person would say, oh, I guess God's angry with you today. I don't think it has anything to do with God being angry with you today that you would miss a 14-inch putt. It could be. But again, the delivery, what's in your heart? You are flippantly using the name of the one who created you, the one who sustained you, the one who gives you every breath of air, and in effect, you mock that one great being. So, the third commandment requires holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. So consider this, who is God? He's Yahweh. I am that I am, or um, most of the modern translations, I am who I am. In uh, Exodus, Moses is at the burning bush, he's talking with God. And we learn about the ascetic of God or the self-existence. Can you map out, connect the dots on how self-existence works? The short answer is no. The long answer is no. That's it. Self-existence. That is God. That is not us. It's not angels. God and God alone, the triune Godhead, is self-existent. Who is God? Will work. He's El Olam. He's eternal. He's a creator. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 92. Psalm 90, verse 2. The Lord is ever, the everlasting God, the creator that ends, uh, of the ends of the earth. In Isaiah chapter 40, he's eternal, and he's our creator. We went backwards. He is El Shaddai, the Almighty One. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. You've heard this before, but do we truly understand omnipotence? We don't know how much energy is in the universe. It's countless. I'd like to try to grapple with infinity, but God's omnipotence is infinite. Infinite power, what can be done with that? God knows, we don't. <laughs> All right. God is Elohim. I've, uh, I'm just kind of going to race through this. He's Adonai. He is El Roy. He is El Elyon. Uh, a lot of these have to do with his power, with his might. Adonai would be like the, a more of a master-servant relationship. He's El Alam, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. El Jabor. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Is anyone else omnipresent? God, the triune Godhead. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He cannot learn anything because he is the creator of all knowledge. And because he knows everything, he is not going to change in his intelligence level or his knowledge level because he's infinitely knowledgeable. He's holy. Again, difficult to grasp. We know that holy deals with purity, with separation from evil. God is infinitely separated from evil. He's entirely perfect in his ways. He's righteous. And on the flip side of the righteous coin, he is wrathful to those who do not acknowledge him as God. We need to be reconciled to him 
if we are to have an eternal life with him. Who is God? He's uh, the Trinity, the triune Godhead. He is infinite. He's sovereign. In our prayer tonight, we heard about our thankfulness that God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. Who is God? God is love. And of course, we know of God's grace, something that uh, we don't deserve, but we are uh, recipients of God's grace. God's immutable. He is not going to change, and we're thankful for that. Unlike there are religions whose God has apparently changed his mind on who's acceptable to his church and who isn't. And in the modern days, apparently that God has succumbed to popular opinion. Who is God? God is truth. So I didn't put down all of these uh, passages, but it's important for us to go through a few of these passages as we understand from God's special revelation, verses that will help us understand him better. We know the passage of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and in verse 9 is where it starts, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. What does that word suggest? What does that word invoke? It takes us, yes, it takes us in the direction of God is holy. There are other words that might also fit in to maybe add, such as venerable, one who is wise beyond their years. Uh, He is infinitely mature. So... Taking taking a look at uh, Deuteronomy, you'll recognize this passage. Those can stay right down there. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we go through the the curses for, well, there's the blessings for obedience, the curses for disobedience. And in verse 58, we read, If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in the book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. This glorious and awesome name. I've always thought that awesome was a pretty good word, a good superlative, but awesome nevertheless still will fall short in our understanding of just exactly who God is. Yes, relative to us, he's awesome, but relative to himself, awesome is just at the very low end of the scale. He's well above and beyond that. Psalm 68, verse 4. We read, Sing to God, are we at the right? Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. The Holy Spirit is having uh, writers of the Bible bring up just exactly who God is. Revelation, chapter 15, we already heard uh, from Revelation this morning but we will reread it in the context of the third commandment. And uh, verses, uh, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What are we to believe when we read that? There is no one like him. There is only one 
true God, there is none like him. And here they're pointing out his just and true ways and his holiness. If we look at Malachi, in fact, you may just want to keep a finger on Malachi for a few minutes. We look at uh, chapter 1, verse 11, and take a look at verse 14. In verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then when we look at verse 14, just a little bit further to the right, and we read, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Uh, we're going to find similar uh, psalm passages, but I just want to read uh, my favorite, and that is Job. And there's a different reference uh, in the London Baptist Confession, but I wanted to go more to the verse that I thought made a, a much better point of the power of God and his character. And if we go to Job chapter 38, and you'll recognize this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's actually a very long discourse. It's like the 64 questions. But after all the bickering amongst the friends and the finger pointing and who sinned and everything, and everybody felt that they were, you know, kind of dialed in. We hear, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or the stretch the line or stretch the line upon it on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. So it, it goes on, but God is making a point to Job. I was there before the foundation of the world. You weren't. I had the power to create the earth. You didn't, you don't. We understand more about God's power and his glory. So where this leads us to in our hearts, where we should be, is that God is not our ATM. God is not our fortune teller. God is not the one who is there simply to help us through our troubles, but while I'm okay, I'm okay, I don't need you. God is there, God is present, God is here. God always has been, is, and always will be, all-powerful, all-knowing, wise, just. He's loving, he's merciful, he's great, gracious, he's wrathful, but he's infinite, and he's perfect, he's holy. And if we fail to grasp the depth of God's character, we go back to A.W. Tozer's statement, the most important thing in my life is what I think of God. The higher your thoughts, the more holy your living will be. So, what exactly is 
taking the Lord's name in vain. Question 60, what is forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbiddeth all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. Again, uh, we're in Malachi, and in Malachi chapter 1, again, we're, we're go- well, well, we'll come to Malachi in a second, but you can see three particular types, and we could come up with different ways to divide exactly what taking the Lord's name in vain actually entails. But the first line, as a curse, we get that. And I did not used to take it beyond that. Maybe you did not either. But also, taking the Lord's name in vain could involve uh, being irreverent or being disingenuous. Uh, We talk about uh, making an oath before God. Uh, You know, if if God will just get me out of this, then I will give my life to him forever or I will be nice to my brother or something like that. But there's also quips, and I mentioned a couple of quips on the golf course, but quips happen every day, everywhere, and we're irreverent in how we handle God's word. Now here's also a kicker about apathetically using the name of the Lord and an example that I gave, and this is arguable, uh, and we'll have question and answer after this, but in sincere worship, how many of us sing a praise song thinking about the baseball game you're going to go to later today, the football game, the soccer game, going golfing after church, uh, what am I, what's coming up this week, what happened last night that I didn't like, and you're not giving God the glory. You're not worshiping God. You're using his name over and over and over again. And are you really treating God with reverence? Are you treating him, giving him the honor that is due him? Or do we not really care? And how could we not care if we've already told ourselves, I have a deep understanding of God. I get it. I get his holiness. I get his infinite nature, his power, his love, his perfection, being immutable, being everything that we don't understand. We don't understand infinite. We don't understand self-existence. But I I get enough of it that God is just so far above. And he is. His thoughts and his ways are as high uh, above our thoughts and our ways as the heavens are above the earth. It's infinite. But when the rubber meets the road, what is our worship like? Is our worship worshipful? You can sing louder than anybody You can be on tune. You can have a beautiful voice. You can sing all the words right, and your mind and your heart are somewhere else. So, if we take a look at Malachi again, with the Holy Spirit directed Malachi to write. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And here we're talking about the priests offering polluted offerings. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If them I am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon the altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. 
in uh, verse 12, it continues on, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. So it continues on in Malachi 2, and then, well, we'll read uh, verse 1 and then 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. It's a heart matter. And the priests are, we'll just uh, politely say, misbehaving, but really they are dishonoring the Lord and treating the Lord as one who will look the other way when we sin or will look through moving fingers, so they say, to obscure the sin that it might not be acted upon, yet that is not God's character. God's character is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous, and God is wrathful. Malachi 3.14 You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So we see priests just the way they treat God in their heart and actually physically in their actions. They are on display taking the Lord's name in vain. So question 61, as we uh, come to a wrap up, what is the reason annexed to the third commandment? And the answer to that, the reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men Yet the Lord, our God, will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. So we have a, just a, a, a few examples. Uh, well, I do want to read the one first Samuel. If you'll recall, um, Eli, the high priest, and he had his sons, Eli and Hophni. Do not name your children. Let's say, uh, Eli, but Hophni and let's go to Phineas. Say that again. Phineas. Phineas, that's true. Just as I blurted out Simeon to you three years ago, one of the 12 tribes. So when we go to uh, 1 Samuel, and if we remember uh, Eli being the high priest and his sons were basically uh, handling the, the priestly duties, but not in a God-honoring way. In chapter 2, verse 12, and then we'll read uh, verses 17, 20 through 29, just to get an idea, uh, it's a passage about Eli's worthless sons. Now the sons of Eli were worth, worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And this is going to launch into how they were abusing the offerings. If we go down to verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. This was a serious matter. When we think of the law, uh, there's the moral law, but there uh, is, is also uh, the, the laws of, um, of, of worship, uh, sin offerings, and this is uh, where we're at right now. When we look at verse 22, Eli was old. He kept, he, he kept hearing that his sons were do, doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So Eli, in a sense, is complicit in that he does not 
correct the situation. And in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, we see, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Uh, it's going to continue on, but this is a, uh, a, a punishment that's basically effectively wiped wiping out a family. There's more to read there. And we'll wrap it up with Deuter- going back to Deuteronomy 28 again. And again, going back to the section where we read about blessings for following the law, curses for not following the law. Deuteronomy 28, verses 58 and 59. If you're not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious an awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. So we, in review, have looked at the third commandment, and I'll take you just through my, the, my mental evolution of it's a simple commandment that didn't, to my mind before, entail all that much and came away with understanding that there's much more to this commandment than just simply not cursing to simply change a lifestyle. It goes so far beyond that. It goes to deeply diving into the character of God and trying to draw it into our lives, to live by it, that when we state that quote from A.W. Tozer, that what I think about God is the most important thing about me, it rings true. If I have high views of God, my life will be more holy. If I have low views of God, my life will be full of sin. That's it. Um, Shall we take questions? I really, I'm sorry. I really liked what you said. because I had always looked at it as like, don't say, don't say God. Don't say it. Right. Yeah. No. I, I know. Um, but really, it like, it is that idea of reverence behind it. And reading on in Malachi, um, in 11, where it talked about like, from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations in every place. Incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Like, it's really that idea how much we should look to honor God's name as much as he does. Like, if, if, if he's placing such a great importance on his name, that we should too. So those, like, quips and those little things that are said not without even thinking about it flippantly are things that really do the same thing when people try to not use... To try to say, gosh, instead we should be doing that with all things concerning God because he is, he values his own name so greatly and his own reputation. Comments to that? I guess you said it perfectly. I don't think that passage has to do with that, but uh, it's actually a prophetic passage about the kingdom. And his response to them profaning his name is slightly different. Um, because remember, they were still in the sacrificial system. I'm just familiar with that passage. I think it's a passage of true worship being in the church. Because remember, he talks about the, his name being great. Um, and I'm sure when they did that, it was 
some irreverence involved. Um, I just, the Malachi passage, I know, decent. Um, somebody may have, have a different take on it. Um, but I like what you said earlier, too, about the, uh, the way we approach God. That is something that I think we don't really think of a lot, like the way we come at him when we're attributing, like kind of like bargain hunting, like what you were saying, like almost like a bribery. Like if we, if you do this, God, then I'll promise to do that. And then, you know, of course we approach Yahweh through the name of his son, through the name of Christ, right? And so... Well, just along those lines, just with a, a raise of hands, how many here feel like you're doing an excellent job of understanding who God is and and it's at the front of your mind frequently, if not always, and that we treat God for who he truly is. Raise your hand. So you can't raise your hand because if you do raise your hand, you are doing a good job, then you, then you gotta worry about the humility aspect, that you're not being humble. But, um, but you, you get the point that we all need to continue to grow in our relationship with God. Again, these first four commandments are vertical commandments, looking to God, giving God the praise and the honor and glory that is due him. Okay, John, sorry, I, I interrupted you, so continue. No, I was just saying, that, yeah, that was, that was good. That spurred thought in my mind. I, I can't remember where I've heard that before. Um, about how we attribute blasphemy to just a person. I also like when you said that because it's so much more than that in the way we approach God. Like you think of the Jews, you know, the Israelites, they didn't even want to say his name because, you know, they attributed to being so holy, right? It's like we think of it, you know, okay, well, his name is God, his name is Yahweh, right? It's yod heh vav so they wouldn't say that. So they just they, wrote YHWH and a virtually unpronounceable word. And I think that's about as close as they would get. Yeah, and there was other stuff too about like how they wouldn't approach. There was like many other abuses with the name of God in the Old Testament. I was trying to find some notes of examples like divination or witchcraft, attributing that to the name of God, that would be a form of blasphemy as well. Um, but the one you said about the cursing, I think as Americans, we just think of people just saying GD all the time. It's just blasphemy, but it's actually so much more than that if you think of, of, of what the Israelites' context was for that, you know, misusing the name of God. So along those lines, um it's a, another uh, failure on our part. If we ever ask, pardon the expression, but if we ask God to damn something, do we really know what we're asking for? We don't. God with one angel wiped out 500,000 of Sennacherib's men in battle against Hezekiah. One angel, that's a created being, one. Jesus said he could have called upon a legion of angels. Imagine if you asked for something to be damned and a legion of angels came through. It could just be a, a very, very large lightning bolt. You know, it could. We can't ask that because we're asking for a cataclysm. we don't really understand what we are saying when we say that but we must not Ross I appreciated the, uh, the pointing also to uh, considering the fact that apathy and worship is a way of violating the third commandment just pastorally do you have some instruction for us about suggestions you would make as far as like how do we prepare ourselves to not make that error or some things that we can um keep in mind or do as we approach a worship of God that affect our reverence in our heart? 
the first step would be to actually be aware of the problem. Like the alcoholic, the first step they take is to say, you know, um, I don't want to use anybody's name. I'm so and so, now I'm an alcoholic. Just recognize that I'm coming in to worship the great I am. I'm not coming in to worship that statue. I'm not coming in to worship Zeus. You know, some flippant made up God. We have to prepare ourselves by internalizing the the awe, the just the fact that we cannot even grasp his total nature. Just like I stopped grasping math when I got to imaginary numbers. And by the way, it goes beyond that, beyond that, and beyond that. Um, we have to recognize, and, and so I know what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm out there worshiping this morning, and I'm think, and I'm just like really conscious of myself. Think, boy, am I, am I really worshiping God? So I would say that we would, once we recognize that it can be a problem, and often is a problem, to address it by closing out distractions and meditating upon just who God is and who we are worshiping, who we are praising. And you meditate and sing at the same time. Greg? I think it starts when I talk to my own children, I talk to my own children about that. I think John said it once. It's not that we, we get to go to church today. We sometimes we think we have to go to church today, right? That mentality of why are we coming, it starts right there. So if you're in that mindset of, i got to go to church today, you know, obviously the Lord can make that change in you while you're here. But if that's your mindset all week long, then you're just checking a box and your worship is going to be worthless. So when, do, and I'll get to you, Jeff, um, you can rest. Uh, one could actually really start preparing the night before just simply by getting a good night's rest rather than having some kind of crazy hectic schedule uh, self-inflicted like going to some kind of entertainment thing voluntarily that keeps you out until three in the morning and you gotta get home so I can get to bed so I can get up and you get up and you're foggy and you make it here and you're just trying to survive. It's not maybe what God is thinking you should be doing in church this morning, surviving. It's an opportunity corporately to lift our praises to him and to acknowledge him for the holy God that he is. Again, if he just wants to take away your next breath of air, he can do it. And it's been done. I don't know if we'll see Ananias and Sapphira in heaven, but they didn't last very long. And I don't know if we want to live in that type of fear. We do want to have a reverent fear, but we should be prepared. And we can prepare ourselves starting the night before and maybe having an orderly morning and mentally being prepared in our hearts what are we doing? We are coming to learn about the Word of God. We're coming to Sunday school so that iron can sharpen iron. We're coming to church to praise the Lord, to hear His Word, to contemplate it, to meditate upon it, to change our lives. I'd hate to come up with a like a to-do list, you know. It's, <laughs> by the way, we could get somewhat legalistic. You know, we're always going to run into that as a as a possibility. Um, if I say, "Geez, 
What does that mean? Oh, geez. Gee willikers. All right. What, what's, in, what's in your heart if you're started to use the Lord's name in vain and you shift the gears on the fly, changed horses in midstream? Uh, golly. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of tough. Uh, if somebody, again, is about to take the Lord's name in vain and shift, I, I'm happy to hear that they would want to shift. I'm glad for that. I don't feel like I need to say anything to that person. But we hear things all the time that, you know, that's kind of borderline. What am I supposed to do? That's a good point. I think too the intense. I've had these discussions with people like, you know, when you just go out and say bad words, right? It's so obvious, but people think it can be holy when you're just like, well, you know, I have these little substitute words. But like you said, the heart is the issue, right? It's like when I drop a hammer on my foot and I say something less than a swear word. I mean. If it's a substitute word in the name of God, I know people who get so agitated. They're like, "Well, that's 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 honoring God. That's being holy." And I'm like, "Nah, no, it isn't." So I think people get accused of legalism, but our hearts are fallen, right? So whether we're substituting or not, I mean, it's if God's name is supposed to be in there, He knows. And a lot of times we know. We just try to wipe our hands of it, right? So. One thing, Pastor Lee, I think that could help us out in this is um, just when you identify that your heart's not in the right place, don't just punt on the service and say, oh, next time i got to make sure I get myself ready better, but simply repent. Like, that's the way of the Christian is when you see yourself in sin or like when you said the mid-word kind of, oh, oh, don't say that, and then you correct. Make sure there's just repentance in your heart about those things. Acknowledge it and confess it to the Lord in your heart and, and determine from that point forward that whether you're, you're like, Hearts in it or not, that it needs to be, and that you need help in that, and so seek the Lord in it, and uh, and determine from that point forward. I, I know that as a parent who has a little one in service, sometimes it can be a real challenge just to get some sort of focus on what's going on. But you also have to remember, as a parent, when you have a little one, that you're also teaching them to to hone in on things and focus. So you're trying to focus while you're ministering to them is also in some ways showing them how important that battle is and how it's worth striving with the Lord. And even if you, you know, I asked my wife this morning, what did you think of the sermon? She's like, the, the six minutes that I was able to listen to it. You know? like, you know, it's, you know, but she got six minutes, you know, and six minutes is better than no minutes. And um, in the midst of that, you know, our, our children are seeing that mom cares about them and knows that this is valuable enough that the name of the Lord is holy enough that we want them exposed to the name of the Lord and, and the things of goodness. So don't be afraid if you if you get to the fifth song in the worship set and you're like, oh, I haven't really thought about these words yet. Just repent of it and then begin to think about the words. You know, do what you are called to do and ask the Lord for the strength to do it. Amen. Jeff, with the not-so-tired arm anymore. Uh,
one. <laughs> yeah, the number of times that I've had to give my thanks to God for his long suffering over me and for his mercy that he's extended to me. It's got to be tired of me by now, you know. <laughs> 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 this, this I am. <laughs> so. Your example with the, with the golf. Um, I'm glad you, somebody mentioned something about the golf. Go ahead. Front and center. Would you consider what the golf partner said as taking the Lord's name in vain? On either account. I, I would say yes, not in the manner of swearing, but in a manner of. I mean, if the person is. Well, there's very few, there are very few excuses I could extend to that person. I think they're using God's name flippantly. QED? Yes, Adam. Would you say that when somebody sneezes and you say, God bless you, would that be taking God's name in vain? So I'm not, probably not the best person to answer that. I, I, I like the question and that it, it comes up. Um, so my understanding of that is the derivation, the origin of that saying, and I may be wrong, but my understanding is is that when somebody sneezed that there was some kind of evil indwelling character and that sneeze was to eliminate the evil character from their body. And I hope that's not a wives' tale. I, I so I I beg for a correction. Or if anybody can Google Gesundheit or God bless you. Your heart supposedly stops. That's why the tradition of people saying it. There's like five or six different like <laughs> origin stories for that phrase. Yeah. So I think really what matters more is why you say it now. You know, what's what's the reason you say it for people? And I think a lot of folks if you're you know, if you're just concerned, because often sneezing means somebody's struggling with allergies or they got a little sickness about or something, that you want the blessings of God on them. It's almost like a little abbreviated prayer for God to help them through that situation. If you're thinking that way and you think about it, you know, uh, sincerely with sincere concern for another person, I don't think that would be I don't worry about that one as much as the golf example. Um, a lot of times people abbreviate that to simply bless you. And, and all they're saying is, is that, hey, I, I know you just had one of those sneezes and I heard it. I know that sometimes they're uncomfortable and I just want to let you know that I hope you're not uncomfortable anymore. That makes it enough context. It makes it I want to make so much more awkward. <laughs> Which makes me want to say it more to people. Well, it's just reaching out to someone to let, to let them know that you're there. That's all. I think I figured out that passage too, by the way. I apologize. I got misgrown when I heard the kingdom part. But if you keep reading verse 12 and 13, when he talks about them stealing and bringing an offering in, kind of reminds me of Romans 2 when he said, Because of you, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. So it was their conduct contextuals the kind of mess up a little bit because they only put verse 12 they should have probably put verse 13 to go with it so. anyone else all right well let's close on a word of prayer dear heavenly father lord uh, we're grateful uh, for your presence we're grateful to know that you go before us that you prepare a way for us. You fight battles for us. There's a lot of times things are going on around our lives where uh, you or your holy angels are protecting us. There's so many ways that we can consider uh, the blessings that we receive from you. We are 
just so uh, rich in having the relationship that we have with you by your grace, by your works, and not by ours. We are not worthy. You are. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to help us to grow in our appreciation of who you are, in our understanding of who you are, that we would bring to you the praise and the honor and the glory that is due you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the left hearing aid just went out, so I can't hear very well, just like Steve can't see. Oh! No, no, that's not it. <laughs> They're called glasses, bro. Oh, dude.